welcome to Architecture Talk Tang. I am Sara Colada, an architect and organizer of the Disrupt Symposium, the first of its kind business of architecture event, bringing to stage major architecture practices to cover topics related to entrepreneurship and practice operations within the AEC industry. I am an architecture business development consultant and my goal is to raise the financial well-being of architects through effortless business growth. Each podcast episode features an expert or thought leader from the AEC industry who shares their journey, challenges and advice. Now, let's dive into this episode and welcome our guest for an exclusive interview. Hello, hello, hello. This is Sara Colato with Architecture Talk Tank. Today, I have one of my favorite writers, <laughs> architecture writers on the Talk Tank. Of, really exciting. One of your um, favorites. You are my favorite. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Neil Patrick Walsh, I was reading um, your writing when I was at school, still architecture school, when you were writing for Art Daily. And yeah, really, really loved it. And um, I never thought that we'll meet, but here we go. So it's yeah. exciting. <laughs> uh, it's, it's good, good to know someone was reading. <laughs> yeah, probably half of the world. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good, good, to, good to um, yeah, good good to be here. Good to be on. Thanks for thanks for the invite. <laughs> Thank you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And um, I know that you're not working for Art Daily anymore, and that you're up to some new, new, exciting ventures. And it would be great to talk a little bit about that as well, as it ties into research study and things like that, and really interesting findings. So, sure. um, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, my name is um, Niall Patrick Walsh. I'm based here in in Dublin, in Ireland. And um, I work full time as a, an architectural designer for uh, BDP, Building Design Partnership. They're one of the largest uh, design and engineering firms in Europe. So I, I work in their their Dublin studio full time. And uh, the um, everything else I kind of do with my time, whether that's Arc Daily or writing or um, some of the platforms we'll talk about, um, kind of takes place in the space around that. Um, so I graduated from my master's um, just under two years ago from Belfast in Northern Ireland. And uh, around that time, I was, uh, as well as kind of working full-time, I was writing for Arc Daily. So I was, uh, I wrote with them for two years, I think from 20, 2018 to 2020. Um, so wrote um, um, kind of several, I think several hundred pieces of work um, about a wide variety of topics, whether that was kind of day-to-day realities of practice and kind of new and emerging um, buildings or the kind of latest work of firms or looking at more systemic uh, systemic issues and kind of systemic aspects to to the way that architecture connects with the world around us. And um, I left Arctelli about eight months ago to, to kind of develop some of these ideas on my own. So myself and a colleague uh, started a Bubble Futures platform, which is a kind of a research slash competitions platform um, all dedicated to I, to ideas uh, about the future of the built environment and about trying to broaden the, the the scope of the architect and maybe broaden the role of the architect or architectural designer 
in the um, in 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 how we tackle some of the um, some of the issues that just as a society we face, uh, whether that's climate change or overpopulation or discrimination. Um, we argue very much that architects have a ha have a voice or should have a voice in these issues. So whether it's through uh, putting out calls for ideas or or showcasing other people's work or generating our own research, um, anything we do is, is is geared towards that about kind of broadening the brief um, of the architect. Um, so uh, yeah, so we're uh, still operating that. We just uh, concluded our latest uh, competition called Accelerate the City, uh, which is looking about um, how architecture can enhance uh, resiliency and urban resiliency in cities, and how, again, how it can how it can tackle um, how it can tackle issues in any city of uh, of people's choice. Um, yeah, so uh, that's kind of where I find myself at the moment between BDP and uh, between these kind of you might call extracurricular things uh, outside of practice. That's interesting. Um, actually, I'm quite curious to know why specifically competitions. Mm -hmm. So we find that a central part of our role is to try and connect people, to try to 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 almost form this kind of uh, um, decentralized network of designers across the world, and try to try, try to uncover. Uh, designers across the world that share our kind of uh, views and ethos on what architecture could be and competitions have always been and particularly ideas competitions have always been when they're used correctly can be a, a, a brilliant vehicle for unearthing ideas that people not related by geography or anything else but just just uh, decentralized groups of people across the world what kind of ideas they can come up with and to showcase the sheer breadth of ideas which are out there um, we, I mean, what sometimes frustrates me about competitions is to see um, an ideas competition, which almost uh, the 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 brief is almost written, and it's uh, you know design a a treehouse or design a museum or design something like that. But we we tend to come at it from an issues point of view. So rather than rather than asking uh, designers or architects to design a particular structure, we ask them to focus on an issue. Uh, mm. So to begin with, that was actually loneliness and isolation. Uh, we put out a very general call to designers and said, uh, um, put forward the the argument that isolation and loneliness is a, a systemic issue across the world, and ask a simple question: What can architects do? Uh, what what can any anyone interested in space, whether that's digital or physical, what can they do to to address this? And simply for the second competition, rather than um, rather than even identifying an issue or a site, what we actually did was create a three-step process. So we said, number one, pick an issue, or sorry, number one, pick a city, any city around the world. Most people pick the city that they were living in, which is fine. Uh, number two, pick an issue, which is fundamental to that city. And uh, number three, create an urban future, which seeks to address that issue. Um, so we're not even, we're, we're not even too, um, caught up on the idea of actually enacting any 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 results or anything it's not a project competition it's an ideas competition it's all about trying to propagate a position um, that architects not only should architects have more to offer than what they sometimes do uh, just in general the general kind of discourse and where we're going as a as a society or as a, even as a as a, as a species um, that we actually do 
engage with these issues. And there are designers and architects out there uh, that we're not just kind of saying this on our own. Uh, there's there's a whole global community of architects out there who see beyond the the day to day um, and and see opportunities beyond that. Um, yeah, so we found the competitions is a good vehicle to uh, a good vehicle to to it's an infrastructure already in place to connect those dots. Yeah, it's brilliant. I love it. And I'm sure that because you mentioned to me before that the main concept is to look into the future, architecture of the futures, and and also um, engage architects more with the future looking thinking about design as well as their engagement in the processes. Yeah. So I think it's just a great tool um, to unite everybody around that topic. So tell me a little bit more about the research that you're doing with, um, with Bubble. Sure. So the um, the competition that we just ran, the um, accelerate the city. So the, the 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 premise behind this was that architect that when you look at the world around you, um, almost every industry is we're, we're seeing an, an acceleration, whether it's in quality, whether it's in the time it takes to produce a product, or how responsive that product is to to certain changes, or how it dictates trends. So we see this in, say, in communication, like like what, what we're doing right now, um, advances in communication, advances in transport, um, even food, clothing. Almost every industry goes through a constant revision in response to needs and desires of, of people and increasingly of the environment. And uh, architecture often gets caught in, in a kind of a loop where even though we are and can be a forward thinking, um, kind of think outside the box profession, we're too often caught within maybe one of the most conservative industries in the economy, which is construction or real estate or property. Um, so, the premise of our research so far has been to put forward the idea that we can we, we can kind of move beyond this, that architecture could say speed up, to put it simply, um, hence accelerate the city, that actually rather than designing an architecture simply of its time, a static object um, in response to present needs or the or simply in response to a market that actually architecture could become somehow either become more fluid more responsive more alive or it become it could become more resilient it be almost more immovable and and um and uh, and stand the test of time that the way the market is at the moment we're in this kind of strange middle ground and um so that was um that that, that was the subject of the of the competition at the moment um, so we've just concluded that. So our next step is we're putting together a an ebook. So we're, we've we've already collected all the ideas. We've published them on our website uh, bubblefutures.com. Um, so our next step is to is to propagate these ideas. Um, so for the um, for the last competition we ran, eliminate loneliness through design. That was through um, that was through putting out press releases. It got published on a few different websites, and also putting together an ebook, which we've sent we sent across to architecture schools and to um, various organizations in the UK that are uh, that that uh, um, deal with uh, with mental health or or isolation or loneliness, and um, trying to put it into an, an accessible format to to get others to think outside the box. Um, so at the moment we're talking about how we can do this with the with the latest competition, um, which is kind of a different challenge. We we know there will be some kind of e-publication e-book element to it. But the, the the sheer wealth and variety of responses that we got uh, 
simply because of how open our brief was, has kind of made us step back and think, and we're, we're trying to find other opportunities and maybe trying to use, maybe try, try to use media and new media and more proactively rather than simply an e-publication. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, whether that's through interviews, like what we're doing right now, or uh, whether it's through getting back in touch with the designers who sent us the work and try to develop some of these ideas further with them, um, whether it's pitching it to design festivals, we actually were just uh, just recently, we were in um, Belfast Design Week up here, we had an exhibition there. Um, so it could be engaging more with these kind of platforms. So um, we're still, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, Bubble is still quite young. We're only we're only about a year old. Uh, so we're in some ways still, find, still finding our feet. But um, so, yeah, so we we see our role as to continue asking these questions to designers and then to take on the responsibility of trying to try, trying to spread the results and spread their ideas to 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 people that we think need to hear them, whether that's within the architecture profession or, or outside it. Interesting. And uh, you just mentioned the architecture profession, which is really leading me to the second question. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, your findings and insight into the future of architecture profession. I know that it's also a topic that you cover uh, and it's something that we decided to talk about mostly in this talk today. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe that Bubble Art uh, Futures is basically a great platform for for research into that topic. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about your findings so far. Yeah, well, we um, findings about Bubble or my kind of general general well, reflections on the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, the it, it it it's quite interesting for me to to look at these things because I'm still fairly early on in my career i'm 26 so i've just come out of my master's and i'm going into my uh my final say professional diploma and over time whether it's through working with arc daily or um or just general discussions in the masters it it's it's almost become rather um rather poignant to watch how when you begin a degree in architecture uh, you tend to have these very broad and um, very altruistic and very ambitious views on what the design of the built environment could entail. And the as you progress through your education, it seems as though you're increasingly being steered towards a very, very defined and I think rather conservative view of what an architect does in their day-to-day life, to the extent that when you get to where I am at the moment, your kind of final professional diplomas, you can call yourself an architect. You are overtly um, being trained to kind of slot into a predetermined role in the real estate market or in the property market, uh, where there's very, I, I think, very little room for innovation, very little incentive maybe for innovation. Uh, when you, you know, we, it, it speaks to a broader um a broader anomaly that the almost the entire our entire economic system particularly in the west but probably globally uh when you center your economic system around growth and continuous growth and the need to it, it, it to to continue uh, increasing profits and to increase in share prices etc um you tend to get sucked into a kind of a status quo and particularly in the property market the property market is always almost seen as a bellwether as to how an economy is performing so architects have rather found themselves in this position where our role is almost responding to the kind of speculations of a developer or, or, a, or a, a hedge fund or even domestic clients. And 
when you look at the education that we went through and the sheer volume of of uh, of of ideas and sectors and disciplines that we engaged with, um, actually, I think someone who put this very well uh, was uh, Liam Young. I spoke to at Arc Daily, I think it was over a year ago, and the way he described it was that when you graduate from an architecture degree, if you walk into a bar, you could feasibly hold um, an, an in-depth conversation with uh, a philosopher or an economist or an engineer or an artist or a novelist or a politician. Um, as an architect, you're, you're trained in, in to, to see the world in such broad terms and to make all these connections um, that, that uh, other more specialized industries don't have the room or simply just don't have the, uh, don't have the time or the role to, um, to look at. And that there's a, a dichotomy there between what we are capable of and what we actually do. Um, so I think that I always have two thoughts on the future of architecture. One is that there's a massive untapped resource that we don't engage with and that even I was quite lucky going through my master's degree that I was in a, a particular studio that did push for architecture to look more at global flows of, of food or energy or water to try and understand how urbanism and architecture connects with the with, with the kind of processes that makes up the modern world. Um, I think there's a tremendous untapped resource, mostly untapped resource for architects to engage with these issues and again, step beyond the design of a medium-sized building. And um, the other concern I have, which is often floated, which is that we might have to do that anyway, because the 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 role that we often find ourselves in um, is, is is almost exactly the kind of role which is ripe for automation. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the the day to day workings of an architect, it is almost about trying to to uh, to merge constraints and to kind of satisfy constraints and 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 inputs and outputs. So, I mean, for example, you're you have a a, a site um, that someone wants to put a say a mixed use scheme, apartments, retail, whatever. Um, quite often, the reality of practice is feeding in constraints about uh, topographies, constraints about user numbers, and um, inputting figures about how many apartments you want, space sizes for apartment, distances of corridors and widths of corridors. It's it's the it would be astounding given the rate of technological change if within the next decade or so there aren't algorithms and artificial intelligence which are able to do this for us. So then architects are caught in this kind of loop where we 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 haven't we haven't evolved with the times we've tried to 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 maintain uh maintain a role and and almost resistant to to new technology uh when it ironically could be a a future where the only thing that actually saves us is how, how low our fees tend to be but um so I, so i think that particularly for younger architects i think there is a there's both an opportunity but maybe also a, a necessity to start to to, to reposition ourselves within the market and um, as other industries have done to think about how how we could be useful in not only responding to human needs uh, in the in the next decade or even in the next century um, but also responding to technological needs to sustainable to needs of the environment and um, yeah it's it would it will require um, a tremendous shift in in how we educate architects and how we how our how architecture is discussed the 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 kind of um, the the kind of day to day um, issues and and processes that we occupy ourselves with. One person I think who does this very well is is actually Neri Oxman, 
um, there was a um, she gave a talk was a, a talk or, a, or a, on her Netflix series talked about how in the future architects would be alchemists and she mm -hmm. talked about uh, almost um, alchemists merging chemistry biology technology um, sustainability all these different disciplines almost into a melting pot and just seeing what we can create um, mm -hmm. and it's, it's it's very much championing this this idea of original thinking and um, I mean we, we see it I mean some of the most successful people in the world champion this i mean elon i mean take the two richest people in the world elon musk and jeff bezos um mm -hmm. they actually both they, they occupy themselves mostly with very different sectors um but their philosophy is very similar elon musk calls it first principle thinking and i think jeff bezos calls it step one thinking but it's this idea that when you're given a task rather than simply replicating what has come before you in the years before you are replicating existing processes, you take a step back and you constantly examine and you constantly critique and you think, is this the best way to do this? Is this the best way to solve this problem? And I think architects, by the nature of our education, are set up for that realms of, realm of thinking. Um, but too often we, we find ourselves trapped in the, in, in the latter, which is a, a, a simple repetition of what has come before us. I, I think that mostly defines a lot of what architects do today. Um, so yeah, I, so I think that um, I think for the for the future, I think the future is is positive if we embrace and we are brave enough to to broaden our um, to 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 broaden our day to day preoccupations as professionals and to even if that means um, totally realigning ourselves in what we actually do and who we work for day to day. Architecture Talk Tank is sponsored by the good people at Integrated Projects, a team of architects and technologists focused on the digitalization of the built environment. Did you know that there are more existing buildings in this world than websites? Yet only 0.0001% have been digitized. In response to this, the Integrated Projects team launched BIMIT, to digitize any space imaginable. Offices, homes, mechanical spaces, you name it. Now any architect, engineers, or reality capture specialists can convert their 3D scan into LOD 200 BIM, just in hours, not weeks or months. Why does this matter? Well, now we can accurately view verify and quantify the spaces that we design, build and operate. To learn more about BIMIT, visit www.integrated-projects.com forward slash Sarah Colada. Mm. I love you saying that because really it's sort of like the driving force behind all my work. And I know you know that because we had lots of conversations about it. Um, for those of you guys who are listening and if you haven't yet listened to my new podcast, I talk about that in the new podcast, which is called Profitable Architect Online. Uh, shameless plug, sorry. <laughs> but the point is that actually it's really, um, to me, it's almost... Um, tying into the concept of business of expertise, which we see emerging more and more in so many different industries right now, especially in business, um, mm. but also marketing and self-help and a lot of other things. It's really when the expert um, sort of creates a personal brand and goes really into 
um, helping others and providing value through what the, whatever their level of expertise is in their area. And, you know, it's it's through info products, essentially. It's, it's just an mm -hmm. info product industry. So it's either um, researching that topic, providing a lot of value, but also coaching and training on that on that topic. And mm -hmm. um, it's it's proven to be an extremely successful model. And I think the reason for that is that we're the world out there is oversaturated with um, sort of uh, monothematic disciplines, you know, and it's no longer enough to be yet another architect in the sea of 17,000 architects around the world, because that defines us merely by, you know, yes, we provide design services, we can build your house, and what makes us different from one and one to another, it's you know it's not defined and i think that more and more um people especially with the overload of information with the technology possibilities it's it's more valuable to us to connect on a level of what you're really passionate about and what mm -hmm. is your expertise and that expertise doesn't come just from experience but also what was the research that you just deep dived into knowing completely nothing about where would that take you you know maybe you did it for your master thesis to pass the exam but then became obsessed right about it and wrote a book or some extensive research and those are those moments where we really find what triggers us and what interests us and unfortunately yeah. on the traditional path a lot of times we just like drop it and then go into a new role okay now i'm a you know technical drafter or whatever at an architecture practice mm -hmm. and you drop what you really loved and what you were interested in in a way sometimes we manage to integrate that through our designs or through our research or writing or whatever it is mm -hmm. but point being is that i think the industry altogether still doesn't cultivate um basically that uniqueness which we all have inside, which which makes us different uh, by mm -hmm. default. And quite honestly, there isn't a single other person that's had the same journey to becoming an architect and to realizing you know, what that actually means, what architecture means and what being an architect means uh, in mm -hmm. the whole world. And I think that when we see all these different cross-disciplinary architects that are doing incredible things like rachel armstrong has had a huge tremendous influence on my life um she's literally an architect microbiologist who works in a lab and she's developing this uh sort of like um like uh how do you call it the primary like um a cell a cell structure when it's just one cell like amoebas or bacteria exactly and she works with algae um to um to basically sell save venice and and it's incredible because it's working with an organism that is alive to create a building material which over time solidifies mm. and has a potential to to basically self save a city from sinking and that is architecture to me 100 percent. Mm. but also it's so many other things it's it's definitely philosophical it's it's future looking it's microbiology it's lab work it's so many different things and i think mm -hmm. that um architecture really has the potential to go so deep into so many other indus industries and disciplines just because mm -hmm. it draws inspiration but it also needs those elements it's kind of constructed by all these different elements and and that gives me personally a lot of um hope because I think that in, in the reality that we live in today, it's quite normal to develop new um, 
basically new titles of a job. Like you can be, you can basically work and make money nowadays by your expertise. And you can say, you know, I am, you don't even have to like use this <laughs> traditional naming system for your career. Yeah. Um, so basically there's a lot of freedom available to us. And I think that sort of when we talk about the future of architecture, it's really about architects embracing more of their uniqueness and allowing themselves to step out of the, uh, of, of the traditional path of architecture and kind of blend in all those inspirations from the outside and seeing where that goes. And when you look at all these famous architects too, um, they, they were much more than just an architect, you know, there was an element of philosophy yeah. and art history and sociology and so many different things. And I think that, like you said, architecture cultivates that from the very beginning. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that we still feel quite uncomfortable about embracing it as practitioners. I think we do. I mean, there's there's a few things in that. I mean, ironically, to you know, talking about algae and um, uh, using algae yeah. growth to um, to 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 save flooding cities, uh, there is actually literally a project on Bubble Futures platform that we detail that um, about uh, kind of creating a seawall, almost like a living seawall that continues to 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 grow in response to rising sea levels. But I think that uh, no, I I I agree with everything you said. I think that a lot of the um, a lot of our nervousness in practice are about practitioners embracing um, these kind of, uh, say, the, the, these new definitions for what an architect could do, I think goes back to our education system. And I don't, th I mean, it's not also, it's not, um, it's not unique to architecture. Uh, there's a very good TED talk uh, by a, a man called Ken Robinson. And he, uh, he, uh, he uh, advocates for a new education system. He, he argues that the current arc current model for education is still um, is still a remnant from the industrial revolution where children are effectively trained along factory lines to um, to and the, the the goal of the education system isn't to uh, bring out people's uniqueness it's actually to 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 almost robotically program them into into replicas of each other to perform predetermined tasks to um, to 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 serve the interests of people above them. And um, I think that mostly still defines the education system, but I think it also defines the architectural education system. You know, as I said, the further, the deeper into an architectural education you go, um, the more geared you are towards a very, very narrow um, vision of what, of what you as a professional should concern yourself with. And again, quite often it is, um, uh, quite often it's uh, producing a, um, a, um, a structure or a building along relative tradition, uh, relatively traditional lines uh, to a predetermined brief, um, almost by a predetermined uh, client. And uh, I think that the uh, you kind of touched on this, that one of the strengths of the architect is this multidisciplinary um, ability that we have. And the, 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 the there was a time that uh, I think it was either the Renaissance or the Enlightenment. There was a, a prominent theory about the kind of separation of um, of industries and kind of separations of uh, of professions. Uh, that you have a, a defined, uh, you know, a, you have a, a legal profession and a medical profession and an engineering profession and an architectural profession, and that they they have very very predetermined and and uh, and, and and set roles and that they can they combine to uh, to create. Uh, uh, to, to be larger than the sum of their parts. And to some extent, this also actually, I think, filtered through to urbanism. Uh, you, you often hear the idea of, of a, 
education districts and culture districts and uh, um, you know food districts, etc. Um, this this kind of division division of industry and almost division of use, which just isn't the way that the modern world works. Um, I mean, we're we're living in one of the most interdependent, interdisciplinary worlds or um, times in in human history, and the 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 way that the architect is educated, it's almost as if I, I heard this line recently about um, that we we learn the skills to learn new skills, if that makes sense. That we're very good at picking up any issue, any site, any context, and applying some kind of informative and 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 evidence based um, vision. Uh, for what this could be in the future, and it goes back. It goes back to the one of the very, very first lines you hear in architecture school is problem solving, and that we're educated to be problem solvers. I think that's a good thing, but as you go through an architectural education, the nature of the problems that you think are yours to solve gets quite narrow, and they're 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 sectioned off into a very um, a, a very definitive um, uh, a very definitive, and I think very small. Um, portion of uh, of the the wider way in which the world works, and I think that for practitioners who've been through that education, it's understandably difficult to um, to to break away from that. Uh, just the nature is, as we as we get older, we get more responsibilities, and um, I think that I mean I, I think a large part of 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 the of the uh, of any reform that we need to be for us to broaden our scope is to think about who we how, how we actually procure work. Because um, mm -hmm. again, quite often, if we if we procure work um, entirely, say through the the real estate market or the property market or the or the and by and large the the private real estate market, which defines a lot of what our, the defines a lot of the market in which architects um, seek work from, um, that is not an, in an industry which lends itself to 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 innovation. I mean, quite understandably, clients don't want their their money uh, to be, and it's not quite often not even their money. They don't want it to be used as a, as a kind of a guinea pig for for testing new ideas about how we might live in the future, and how we might tackle climate change or overpopulation or 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 lagging infrastructures. Um, quite often, they in a in an industry driven solely by profit and solely by solely by short term growth, you're not going to see much risk being taken in those industries. So then we need to start thinking about whether we need to approach the, say, the institutions more, education institutions. I mean, you do you do see some. I mean, we referenced Neri Oxman earlier. She um, built a lot of her, um, a lot a lot of her greatest achievements came from the MIT, MIT sensible, sorry, MIT Media Lab. Um, and mm -hmm. I was thinking there was also Carlo Ratti in the MIT Sen Sensible City Lab. There are some examples of the institutions taking that mantle of of innovation. Um, but even increasingly, that is starting to to be eroded by universities and colleges becoming on coming under pressure to operate as profit-driven industries and profit-driven businesses. And um, so, I sometimes something I often reflect on is how um, architecture is one of those disciplines that we don't seem to engage with um, angel investing. We don't seem to engage with venture capitalism. I wish that these larger issues didn't have to be left to the private market. But if you look at almost every other um, almost every other successful um, business or almost every other innovation, whether it's social media or whether it's technology or, or retail, um, quite often, uh, or transportation or, or even Airbnb, 
quite often their genesis is in somebody with a vision pitching an idea and uh, to a to a group of people who see potential often very wealthy people who see potential and who are willing who are willing to fund it and you know exactly. if 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 the institutions aren't going to to fund these ideas and increasingly governments aren't going to fund these ideas and there's no hope of us invading in, in the in the in the real estate sector maybe we do have to start doing what other leading industries are doing and 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 uh, um, speaking louder about our visions and our and ideas about uh, about the um, about how we can create a more you know sustainable equal and um, and, um, and 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 stable world and and pitch, pitching these to startups and to 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 people and individuals and organizations which actually lend themselves to innovation rather than trying to hollow innovation out of a market that just doesn't lend itself to it. Sounds like someone has to start a VC fund for architecture. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I'm the furthest from a venture capitalist supporter you, you'll probably find. And yet it see, I, it's difficult to it, it, it's difficult to see any of the only other I mean, the only other hope you would have is for again, for instance, uh, for um, Institutes such as the United Nations, the European Union, um, the um, um, or even or even national governments, but in, in, increasingly, with the way that our political environment is going, it's increasingly difficult for governments to take risks on new ideas. I mean, an example was um, was I think it was 2010 when Barack Obama um, poured um, billions into a a solar startup called uh, Solyndra. Uh, they were trying to develop a new solar cell, which would um, uh, produce an unprecedented amount, unprecedented amount of power um, for, you know, considering its size or considering its cost. Um, the U.S. government poured billions into it, and they were ultimately undercut by, I think, the Chinese government um, funded a rival, which were able to bring something to market, which is much cheaper, and Solyndra almost went out of business. Um, that was a political lightning rod for Barack Obama for the rest of his presidency. Uh, his political opposition would point to this one example and say, here's an example of how um, he was either accused of cronyism or else he was accused of being this radical Marxist leftist who had this uh, fairy tale vision of the future of energy and that uh, he, he, he can't be trusted with the economy, etc. It's increasingly more difficult for governments to actually fund innovation. Um, and I think that's a, it's, it's a, a dangerous, uh, it, it puts us on dangerous ground because the we're only now waking up to the consequences of the way in which we have built our economic model. And to some extent, the way we funded urbanization over the last 100 years, we've found a way, and even the way that we, even the way that we build and sell commodities, um, the goal is to make things cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and more efficient. And uh, we've almost entirely ignored the climate cost. And we're at a point now where um, the, the responses and the, the the level of change we're going to need in order to reverse some of these trends is going to be massive and it will require um, massive sums of money massive investment and uh, and massive uh, visions almost i mean elon musk's vision of, uh, of 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 mars is even one example um radical solutions to to very intricate problems and to bring it back to architects i think architects are one of the few professions who are perfectly placed for that um, yeah. But we find ourselves, I think, I think overall in the wrong market and in a market that um, isn't, I think, going to contribute to those solutions, I actually think is mostly part of the problem. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, to, to sum it up, I, I, I do think it starts with education. I think it starts with us. Um, I, I think it starts with almost realigning student expectations of what of what their role should be um, in the industry when they graduate. And um, but um, until until we until, until we do that, I, I think it will be very difficult to um, to 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 reverse. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm just really passionate about this topic because, you know, one of the reasons why I live in Berlin, Germany is because technology and startup is a really big component of the development of the city, especially if it comes to intellectual um, and innovation development. And what's really great is that um, I work as a mentor, business mentor mainly, um, and hardware mentor for a few startups here, uh, startup accelerators actually in Berlin. So they're like incubator programs, mainly sponsored privately or by the EU or German government, mm -hmm. where, well, not students really, young people start startups under these programs. and. You know, it's really remarkable sometimes working with these people and seeing what kind of ideas they have and where they take them and interacting with um, hands-on, really practical um, environments where young people develop businesses. It's totally acceptable and totally normal in this field, talking about moonshot ideas, ideas that, you know, um, people like Richard Branson talks a lot about and people that are like extremely successful business yeah. people. And you can, in your age of 26, start a startup, a tech startup or whatever in Berlin, where the scope of the business is bigger than big, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah. And people are encouraged because it has to do either with AI with mobility, which German government puts a lot of money in, and I find it being so close to architecture that it's almost incredible that there is so much innovation supported by governments and the system altogether in the aspect of mobility, which obviously has to do with, you know, with cars, uh, planes, trains, anything to do with infrastructure. Uh, but not the build environment. And we really are somehow like as a whole industry behind. And so that in innovation is not supported. It, like we are literally spending our, our days and our whole careers imagining big things. Like we work on these utopian ideas and all sorts of things, right? With urban scale and, and also architectural scale, which is big enough. And yet somehow there is no nowhere in this, there is nobody quite important to listen to these ideas to somehow facilitate growth of a of, of, of few of them. And that's normally what happens in the tech world. I mean, big business people are literally fishing for young, innovative ideas that they can put money into for, to see them grow. And that's how businesses like you mentioned, Airbnb and Uber and all these things, that's how they emerge. And, you know, they do start with a great vision, but very little money or uh, or possibility and then it's not yeah. just that it booms out of nowhere it's not uh zuckerberg's kind of uh, claim to fame idea you know in every single one of these startups there is a lot of investments that come that back those ideas up and when you start looking into statistics which is something i i do a lot right now like when i'm interested in a business i will look into the series a and b funding and just to realize that like 
Series A is mainly raising money just for the idea. So you come to someone and you say, well, this is my idea and here is some research to back it up and that these companies can get 4 million <laughs> for just developing an MVP, like before yeah. you even know if this is going to scale. It's remarkable. And this is yeah. basically the possibilities available in industries that are so close to architectural industry, industry and, that, and yet somehow our industry and and you know yes it's education but also there's something missing with the link between generally business uh business development business expansion where can we take those ideas how can we better self communities not to just come up with utopian solutions but actually truly implement them and yeah. we don't hear many of these projects happening because they don't get the backup, the financial backup needed. And I think that that also obstructs um, our research and how far we can go with research, because if there is not enough money to develop that innovation or sponsor that innovation, then um, then there's just so much we can go, like so far we can go as architects actually looking into innovation. And um, what is the solution? I mean, it's a huge problem. It, it has to do with politics, education, with the system, with institutions. But I think that one way in which I personally found a way to sort of go about it is to get interested in VC funding, get interested in technology and see how you can combine the two to develop architectural ideas. Because at the end of the day, that's exactly what an average startup does like they have an idea yeah. to do with some in some way bettering someone else's life and whether it's through mm -hmm. an application app a phone app or or a service that they provide that is computerized somehow digitalized and and they go out there do research and then get into these accelerators to see whether or not they can bring it to vcs and find fund these projects to develop and if we only got interested in business a bit more than we are as architects, us individually, not blaming institutions, not trying to say the system is broken, but like, actually, what can I do? And this is what I try to encourage everyone to do is start reading business books, start looking at how the business industry develops, how the tech industry develops and also mobility i think is a great example to look into mm -hmm. and how can a 25 year old who has got an idea of building a train and a train business actually bring that idea to to fruition how what is that process and once you start studying those processes you realize that you can actually bring a lot of architecture innovation to fruition following that traditional route that is for example practice in technology but not the traditional path of architecture and so I think that this is where we ourselves have to kind of broaden our field of interest and start drawing inspiration from other models that are working. They prove to be working. They do bring um, success. They bring money. They, they are growing. But also um, there is a lot of help available out there for businesses mm -hmm. like that. This episode of Architecture Talk Tank is brought to you by the MGS Global Group a team that provides on-demand CAD and BIM drafting, as well as renderings for architecture firms. In today's environment, with everyone experiencing a surge in projects and staffing challenges, MGS Global can deliver your drawings on time and within your budget. So why work with MGS Global? Their customer service is exceptional and they provide quality for value. 
They have completed over 5,000 projects worldwide, a testament to their work. Now you can focus on design and let MGS do the rest. Check them out at www.mgsglobalgroup.com. And I, I agree. I agree with all of that. I mean, I do, yes, put a certain responsibility on the on the architect or on the designer to to recognize these opportunities. But the reason I keep coming back to the education system is if if you're going to be in this environment for five years and for architects, it's more like seven years. Um, if if that environment isn't built to 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 introduce you to these possibilities and to broaden your mind about what you could do for the future, what on earth is it for? Like why why mm. why I mean why pay thousands of pounds or dollars or euros worth of fees um, to 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 be hamstrung into a, a, a unsustainable and relatively not useful um, uh, area area of of, the, of of society or of the economy? Um, I, I think there is a certain onus on 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 the institutions to 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 put it to graduates and to to students. And again, I'm by I think by sheer luck I happened to meet a group groups of academics who did open us to these possibilities that's the only reason i'm here talking about it that's the only reason that we founded bubble that um that that the the opportunity is there for you to 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 engage with these issues and to promote innovation i mean give one simple example is um housing uh, i mean if you if you look at a lot of the a lot of the most successful startups it often begins by identifying a problem and trying to Go back to what Elon Musk would call first principles thinking to to, to address those problems. I mean, um, the issue of housing is so central to what architects should be doing. Even the most mundane definition of an architect will involve themselves with housing. Um, but the access to you know affordable, sustainable housing is probably one of the biggest issues that we face uh, in, as humankind. I mean, if if you if we were to if you were to pick one issue to innovate. Um, it's sure for architects. I mean, housing is is, is 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 an open goal. It's almost as if if architects aren't going to do it, who will? And quite often the yeah. and I saw this quite a lot at Arc Daily. Um, the the preeminent solution seems to be let's build almost the exact same model of housing, just fifty percent smaller. You know, micro housing, tiny housing, uh, etc. As a, I mean, that's not a solution. <laughs> that's, if anything, that creates. I mean, in particular, I think COVID has shown. Um, some of the mental health implications of just radically reducing the, um, the, 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 the physical size of the space in which we live um, are, are probably drastic. And, and some people dismiss it as saying, oh, we, we need to build smaller houses because we're running out of space, which is insane. We're not, cities themselves don't take up space. If anything's taking up space, it's, it's mostly the the um, you know the, the food systems and the uh, in fact mostly the the farming and the food systems used to support those cities. It's not related to the size of the spaces in which we live, but there's, I mean, if you were to take a the that kind of response, the the tiny, uh, some people want to live in smaller houses. That's fair enough. Go for it. But the putting forward the solution of 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 the of the housing crisis as reducing the size of homes. That's not a first principles way of, of looking at things. That's very much a looking at the way we did things yesterday and just making minor tweaks to it. Really want, if we really want to solve that issue, we have to go back to the fundamentals of how we build, what kind of materials we use, for what purpose are we building? Um, 
and 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 thinking about the nature of the things that we build i mean is it still the right approach to just build this kind of shell um shell shelter that we we populate ourselves do does housing whether it's apartments or 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 or, or larger houses do they need to become more active or more responsive do they you know, should the norm be now that we're trying to develop housing which recycles its own water, which grows its own food, or which creates its own energy, uh, which measure, measure, somehow measures the health of the people that live within it, that can grow or con contract or can be built, I'd say, say built for 40% of the cost. Um, there's all, all these deep, deep questions around housing, which would be of major benefit, not just to architects, but to the, to the world. I mean, imagine what it would do for the world if the cost of housing was able to decrease by, say, 50%. I mean, we'd probably mm -hmm. end homelessness overnight. Um, I mean, imagine yeah. the human potential you would unlock if you were able to give, uh, whether, again, whether it's government or, inst or the institutions, where, where if you were able to at least give citizens the security of a dignified place to live, imagine the, the human potential you would unlock from that. I mean, these are the kind of things that, as architects, we should be we should be we should should be running through our mind. Um, and again, I don't I don't place the blame on architects. I place the blame on the system through which we are educated. And and again, that's so why I think any um, any change in this system has to go back to that um, back to that system and back to the, the, just the principles and the positioning. Um, in, in the, uh, the, that we experience from from, um, from from academics, and it's not even to blame academics because mostly the academics are responding to curriculum set by, say, in the UK it would be the RIBA. I mean, to a certain extent, universities are kind of hamstrung by by what they can teach because they have to maintain they have certain criteria they have to hit with the RIBA and with uh, professional institutions. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I again was, I think, lucky that I landed myself in a, and uh, a few of us did landed ourselves in a tutor group and with, with a group of professors that did encourage us to think in broader terms like this. Um, but that was, I mean, that was not only, that, that was very much the minority position, even within mm -hmm. our university cohort, whereas I think it should be the majority position. And mm -hmm. uh, so, I, so I think that if, if, if as a body or as a profession, we want to 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 reform the way in which we work, I, I think we need to start with education. Absolutely, and you know, it's um, it's it's just something that it's not really about blaming the system, but we have to also understand that the system is there to support one goal. It was basically created so that we get chartered, so that we don't go out there building buildings that are not legally formed and basically don't buy certain legal, legal rules. And there mm -hmm. is a purpose behind all of this, and I understand, but if we go around as architects, basically calculating our worth only, depending on whether or not you've got already qualified and you have that uh, you know, Reba part three or this and that chartered hood, and you've been put on the list of these architects, and then go around and say, you know, to people that maybe didn't do that because they chose an alternative career in architecture, um, mm -hmm. that they're somehow a failure because they didn't comply yeah. with that system, then we're literally running around in circles, completely missing out the point of what's going on. And what's going on is that this system, there is an absolute purpose behind why it exists, but you don't have to just follow that and play by the book with everything 
to well you can <laughs> you can do that but the point is is that there's a lot of other ways in which you can serve and help and there yeah. is a need for that innovation and so yeah. by all means we cannot limit anyone who's trying to innovate or help or do bring value with their background in architecture but maybe choosing a different alternative route um, to achieve the results or to help and we cannot just mark that as failure and i find that to be a big problem in the industry is that i understand it takes us so much energy to get educated in the system it's seven years of this it's so much um pressure and stress and everything that we have to go through that of course we have to we value very much that piece of paper that they give us at the end if we pass it but we cannot say mm -hmm. that this is the only thing that makes you an architect and that it's the only thing that um, basically you need to practice architecture because I myself learned under architects that have been building incredible buildings and actually by education where anthropologists <laughs> moved to yep. a country where they can serve and started to build incredible beautiful structures which are fully blown buildings and they do get permits and everything, but they have never went to architecture school. What do you say to that? You know, if you're judging on people that are doing this just because they didn't go down the traditional architecture path, then something's wrong with your understanding of how you can serve the world, I believe. And I think that this is yeah. really somehow where we have to us confront ourselves and our own values to understand like, okay, well, even if you chose a traditional way, which I've got nothing against, it's like, if it's serving you, that's fine. But I think that there is a lot of gaps that that system is not serving, like all these things we mentioned in this talk, and that there is a really important need for people to step up their game and somehow start facing those gaps. And that's what innovation means. And a lot of times it means that you have to come out of your comfortable seat and put a different hat on and become someone you're not trained to be in order to actually bring that innovation forward. And um, mm -hmm. And, and this kind of ties back into our personal understanding what it means to be an architect, I guess, and our personal, again, personal reason why we would drive that innovation. And, and do we stay in the traditional path or do we innovate? That's also a question here. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I see no reason why we can't do both. I mean, I, um, I, I I think I, I think that there's much more room for us to innovate. I don't think that needs to come at the expense of uh, of, of architects and designers fulfilling the role they already do. I mean, some if if you get a tremendous um, satisfaction or or worth out of out of shaping people's environments, even in the most traditional way, as we do at the moment, um, I have no problem with that, and uh, I I think that's a, a valuable use of time for people who are good at it. Um, my uh, we, we, the, the critique I come at is that uh, that is one option for uh, uh, that is one outcome from the, the set of skills and the, the the set of ideas which we are exposed to in the university or education system, um, but it's not the only application of those skills. And I think too often it's taken as granted or it's presented as granted by the institutions that this is the only application of your skills. Um, but and, and I, I I do. Um, yeah, I, I totally see the value in, in being educated on you know, building regulations about fire safety, and that does form a, an integral part to uh, to profession, and that uh, that is um, uh, part of the reason why um, architect the, the the title architect is a protected um, a, a protected title because you can't mm -hmm. gain that title without without uh, 
showing a competency in these in regulations and, and understanding and in, incorporating user safety into um, in, into structures. Um, but this, I mean, this is probably a separate conversation, but it goes back to what I then mentioned at the start. Those are, to me, that falls into the constraints category. Um, it falls, there's a particular set of parameters you have to abide by in order to make buildings safe and habitable and occupiable and structurally sound. Uh, that if you look at the rate of um, change in, and the, the rate of advancement in, in artificial intelligence, um, where you already have um, um, you, are, you already have systems which are able to, I mean, who almost a decade ago were at chess, were beating some of the greatest chess grandmasters. And now is, is it Alpha? Is it Alpha Go? Or that, that that it's regarded as one of the most complex games in the world. It has millions of different moves you can make. Um, that an AI system is able to beat the world um, champion at that. I mean, that that's actually. I mean, it sounds totally different, but it's the same application. It's it's applying a set of rules and constraints onto onto a onto a um, a, a condition of certain parameters. I mean, that can apply to the architecture industry as much as it applies to to anything else. And I, I think there's um, a danger. Of or if, if you're talking to the, uh, if if I'm talking to the traditional architect, I think it is a danger that a lot of the role which they um, a lot of the 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 role which is currently depended on for architects in in the um, in the design and construction of buildings could be automated uh, in in decades, maybe even in years. Who knows? Um, but it's it's certainly we're, we're we're nowhere near immune to it. There's often an argument that I hear that uh, because architecture has its basis in the arts, that it's somehow more um uh, it, it's more um future proof um if yeah if we did have our basis in the arts we might be more future proof but the day-to-day -day reality of architecture isn't even based in the arts it that it's based mostly in in regulation in 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 finance and profit and and trying to trying to attain a certain um uh, amount of figures, whether that's spatial figures or occupancy figures or financial figures, trying to to overlay them onto a given parameter, which is often usually usually a building site, um, to certain constraints. I mean that that is the language of automation. Um, so yeah. I, I, again, it's probably it's probably a different uh, a different um, a different discussion for another day. But it also adds to this layer of of future proofing the profession, and. Um, and trying to 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 expand our role in in a world where where AI is increasingly consuming some of the traditional roles that um, that we used to occupy. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for this great conversation. Not at all. Thank you. <laughs> we went for almost an hour, but I think it's one of the most insightful yeah, talks that I had on this I, channel. It's really. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was half an hour, so I only had one coffee lined up. I should have had two or three. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I can't help it. I just get so sucked into these conversations. <laughs> They're important. They're important conversations. I mean, they are increasing. I mean, they are increasingly being had. And the, the one thing that does make me actually optimistic is that um, I talk about because I think I've sounded probably quite negative throughout this whole thing. But um, one of the sources of optimism I often found that at Arc Daily was that. If I, 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 particularly in the um, the uh, the last kind of year that I was uh, was writing there, I had a, a lot of editorial freedom. I, I could define my own topics, and I often found that the more abstract and the more um, the more kind of at the surface unrelated to architecture, traditional architecture, a topic was, uh, the more popular it was. Um, yeah. I wrote articles about about the food industry, about um, 
mining, as in mining raw materials. Um, that the more you start, the more I started to connect architecture with the with the with the global global flows that make up the modern world, the more engaged the readership was. Uh, so I actually find a lot of optimism uh, in and and cause for hope in that. Um, that I think that we do still harbor an interest in in the future and in how all these um, at first separate industries and, and separate sectors do actually merge and they quite often still merge in and will probably still continue to merge in the built environment in urbanism and in cities and ultimately in architecture um, so I do have uh, so these these conversations are they do find ears and I think they there is um, there is a, a a hunger for them so I think it's good that people like yourself are hosting them Thank you. Absolutely. I love uh, having these conversations and I really hope that it, uh, you know, it can facilitate a really good place also for thinking differently. Um, mm. And, you know, it's definitely early days, but um, I, I'm looking forward to see what happens out of this, you know, with this community um, and also following the, the careers of the people that are coming onto this platform as well, because practically everyone's changing the world of architecture in their own unique way. And sometimes it receives criticism, but there is nothing wrong in being different. And this is basically the message I'm trying to cultivate here. And I really hope that everyone in one way or another can allow for, for to, to, to absorb that message somehow, because, uh, you know, it's not, it's not to criticize the architects that have been, um, you know, really indoctrinated in that traditional path. Um, I just think that um, learning from other people and learning from other models and being innovative, even if, you know, you end up franchising your architecture business, which is kind of unusual. But even if you do that, uh, it's not to say that that's not architecture anymore. You know, mm. <laughs> it is. It's I, um... just not how you <laughs> yeah the last thing the, the 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 last thing i'll say by means of people wanting who are thinking about this more is um one of the one of the most enjoyable things i did um that i've done in the past i think couple of years is um i interviewed uh, richard saul Worman. Uh, he's the founder of uh, he's fa he founded uh, ted talks so the ted conference he, he created that and um he is he's an architect he trained as an architect he was best friends with louis khan um, I think his um, mentor was was actually Charles Eames, and um, he studied architecture back in I think the 1930s. I think he's I think he's in his 80s now. He lives in Florida, and um, he studied architecture, spent his early years in architecture, and then departed to uh, to to uh, explore a whole host of adjacent industries, whether it was cartography and map making. He I think he was the first person to map uh, a lost Inca city in, in, or it could have been a Mayan city in, in Mexico. Someone can correct me on that. But um, and he, you know, he, I mean, you can read more about him. He eventually reinvented the guidebook, the city guidebook, and then he founded the TED conference, and then he founded TED Med, a medical version of it. And I asked him, um, you, how um, a training and how you, you your path diverted from architecture. Um, to, towards these fields and what he actually said was um, he hasn't left architecture that architecture is in everything and that architecture still under the this, his study of architecture still is the the genesis of everything he's achieved um, I always hold him up as an example of I mean he has changed he would he'd never admit it he has changed the world uh, by by founding TED um, and the, the 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 sheer um, millions and millions of people who've, who've watched that and who've gained inspiration from it 
Um, there's there's no limit to what architects can do with the skills they acquire. Um, and he he was quite clear. I mean, the, the interviews on Arc Daily, he was quite clear. He would not have um, done what he had done if he had not studied architecture and he had not engaged with uh, with architectural ideas. Um, so uh, so yeah, there, there's there's absolutely no limit on what on what architecture adjacent or architectural designers can do uh, with their and and the, and the the effect they can have. And it does go far. It includes the the design of of um, traditional building design, but it goes far beyond that as well. Absolutely. Honestly, I feel so inspired and this is really why I'm doing this talk because I love these conversations and they inspire me so much. Um, so thank you so much for joining today. Really great conversation. And uh, I really hope we can do it again sometime. Maybe talk about sure. writing, which is a huge part of your life. Um, yeah. But yeah, thanks so much for this full hour of a great, <laughs> great, valuable input. Um, Not at all. Thank, thank you. you. Awesome. And thank you. also thank you guys for tuning in. <laughs> for more of this, okay. just subscribe <laughs> to YouTube. <laughs> Great. Uh, Sarah Thanks, Sarah. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Architecture Talk Tank has its own frequency. We're not a regular podcast, but we are here for you. Always. If you have a suggestion for a guest, or have a story that others in this community can benefit from, please contact me via social media or email me directly at me at saracolada.com. To sign up for my newsletter, simply go to the website saracolada.com. I am on Instagram, YouTube and LinkedIn. You can find me by typing my name, Sarah Colada. Come say hi. I'm always excited when you reach out. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.